Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. It was October the 3rd, 1863. The United States, often referred by the world at the time as the great experiment, is starting to show cracks in her foundation. The nation is on the verge of imploding from the inside out. Just two years earlier, Southern Americans and Northern Americans started a war with each other in the name of patriotism. Now, peace between these two parties seemed very unlikely, especially at this time in 1863. In knowing the state of his union, President Lincoln decides to do something that he feels the nation needs now more than ever. And so he issues a national proclamation. It says... I invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as the day of Thanksgiving and praise to our Father who dwells in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the praise justly due to him for his blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national disobedience. Commend to his tender care all of those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the regrettable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the intervention of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as it may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. October 3rd, 1863. In the midst of our nation's greatest conflict, our greatest time in our history where it didn't look like things were going to get better. Still, by the way, this conflict holding the record of the most American deaths in any war since our founding. And when it seemed impossible to reunite with those that look different and think differently than ourselves, a day of national thanksgiving was born. A day originally intended for a nation to repent of its sins and approach the almighty 
but a heart of thanksgiving and praise. Officially recognizing the fourth Thursday in November as Thanksgiving Day. Now, when we look back in history, and it's you know, easy to do that, open the book, and I can quickly find the history of where Thanksgiving comes from, at least in our nation. But a common theme seems to be found over and over again. Every time I was looking, every time I, I peeked back behind the curtain and looked at this common theme that out of the ashes of adversity, out of conflict, Thanksgiving is usually born there. I found it time and time again. That when it seems that our cup is so full that we can't possibly take anything else, it's usually a thankful heart that can bring a type of healing and perspective that we often find and become blind to in the process. Now, not only do we find this in American history, of course, this type of conflict, this type of, of resolution that we gather together and unite in thanksgiving, but we can also find this throughout biblical history as well, several times, in fact. In fact, we see the Apostle Paul here in 1 Thessalonians refer to this topic over and over again. Actually, he does it in all his writings. He refers thanksgiving to give praise He's constantly reminding the believer to do this. He's trying to drive the point. Every time he has a pen in his hand, to drive the point to the church that thankfulness is a part of the believer's condition. It's a part of our condition. It has to be a part of who we are, a part of our core, as, as our, our characteristics, if you will, is thanksgiving and in his writings. He tries to encourage believers. Multiple right, multiple times. He tries to encourage his believers to build a discipline of thankfulness. A discipline of it. He's telling us to build it when things are good. To build the discipline in the best of times and not wait until the conflict arises to be reminded of a thanksgiving heart. And an example, an exact example of that, in fact, can be found in 1 Thessalonians 5, which was just read for us a moment ago. As he's signing off of his letter here in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, in his closing remarks, he writes these simple words. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this, of course, are, are easy words to pen. It's easy to write those things, to rejoice always and, and, and to pray continually. But what, 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 does it, what does it look like to rejoice always? What does that actually look like? Does this mean that I'm supposed to go around skipping all day long and shouting and singing? Rejoice always? Now if it kept me in time, that may be a good thing. Especially when I'm up here in the drums, you know, it might be good. Now, what does it mean to, to, to pray without ceasing, to, to, to pray continually? What does this mean? To give thanks in everything. I mean, this just seems like an unrealistic expectation of being a Christian, that we're setting ourselves up to fail right here at the end of 1 Thessalonians. And I will tell you that you would be right if we didn't actually dissect what he meant by it. To remove the myth and to see the truth. 
Now, what does it mean to do these things? Well, the truth is that we can't go through life thinking that happiness and joy mean the same thing. We can't be fooled by that. These are two very different things. Happiness is an emotion that can be given and it can be taken away. And it can be done so by a circumstance. Happiness can come and go. Now, don't get me wrong. It's probably, if not the most, favorite of all emotions is happiness. We really like it. I like it. I like being happy. Life seems to be pretty good when I'm happy. And I like to try to cling on to it as long as possible. Happiness fills the souls. We find it in the relationships that we have with other people, in our own hobbies. I've just picked up a new hobby myself, and I, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to learn to play the banjo. Trying is the word. And so my family have been gracious with me. I have a special room separate from the house that I can, uh, You have been very gracious with me, I just want to say to my wife. But I find happiness when I'm sitting there pretending that I can play this instrument. We also find happiness maybe in our daily choices and the, way that, and the way our life has panned out perhaps. Or maybe that we finally entered retirement. That was a day of happiness. Maybe not for others, but maybe it was for some. But as quickly as it was given, happiness can be taken away. Happiness can turn to sadness or mourning, anger, just in a snap. Just like that. That the emotional temperature in a room, you can be happy until you walk in and you can feel, ooh. And there's maybe a news that someone tells to you, Captain, and they tell you something, and your mood changes. It's gone. It was meant to do that. Happiness was never meant for any person to experience at all times. It would lose its credibility if we did. When God created humanity, he must, I mean, he must have seen the value of experiencing sadness and anger and other emotions because every emotion belongs to God. He designed each one and crafted it by his own hand. But there is one thing I find when I was looking through this, looking at happiness and looking at joy, there's one thing that God gave us that is above circumstance. It's above an outside force putting that emotion into us. That there's something above that. That he created something that was like him. Something that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And perhaps, perhaps when he created this thing, it was so that we could always have a piece of him with us. That no matter what, if we're, if we're experiencing high or low, we can be reminded that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he gifted this thing to us. This thing called joy. Joy is a gift. Because see, joy isn't rooted in circumstance. It's rooted in God. It's something that we receive when we come and find the Father. Now that day is happy, of course. And here is the problem with us believers. And I'm not excluded from this. Is that the day that we find salvation... The day that we experience that, that, that true love that comes over all of our spirit and souls. Joy is given to us on that day. 
but so is happiness. We are happy. And oftentimes, we associate that feeling of happiness as our feeling that we're in the presence of God. No, that was, a, that was an emotion that he gave us for that occasion. What he gifted us was joy. That when we walk outside and you go to work the very next day, and immediately that happiness may be taken away, but your joy isn't. Why? Because you have the Lord on your side. It says rejoice. This is why we sing joy to the world. Not happiness to the world. Joy to the world. We sing rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Not happiness. Rejoice. And in fact, I would challenge anyone, anyone to not seek for what makes you happy. But what brings you joy? What brings you joy? What fulfills? What fills that cup of joy in your life? And Paul here in Thessalonians is telling us that no matter how bad it gets, how hard it gets, how emotional it gets, do not give away your joy. It's God's gift to his people is his joy. So rejoice always in him. Now, we got to talk about this whole um, pray without ceasing thing, okay? we gotta, we got we to figure this out. I mean, come on, this is just unrealistic, right? I mean, come on, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Now, how am I supposed to, to provide for my family when I'm on my knees all day long? I mean, someone's got to go out and, get, and earn the income in the house. Now, I'm going to tell you, Paul was not telling believers right here in the scripture. He was not telling believers to stop everything that you are doing to start praying and don't stop until he comes back. That's not what he was saying. In fact, if Paul was hinting at this very thing, he would be contradicting his own words only one chapter back in the same book. You see, the Thessalonians themselves were actually doing what I just said. They were actually doing that. They were so obsessed with the second coming of Jesus that many of them quit their jobs. And they decided to just sit, wait, and pray until he comes back. They were so convinced that that was coming very soon that they, were, they, they stopped everything and just waited until the coming of the Lord to not do anything else. And Paul, right here in the previous chapter, tells them to get back to work. He says, get up. Get back to work. And then he says to respect those who are working hard. But when you and I think about praying, when I say that word praying, there's often an image that comes to our mind. We think of heads are bowing our heads, closing our eyes, folding our hands. When I pray with my kids at night, we fold our hands together like this. Then we say our prayers. Maybe, we, maybe if you're really, really good, you do it on your knees. You know? And you can do it on your knees. You have this image, kind of this, this, this perfect like, view of what we think prayer is. And all of these things, the bowing of our heads, being on our knees, closing our fists like this, our eyes closed, all of these are customs of prayer. But they're not prayer itself. They're customs that these are things that the church, that you and I have created over all the years to symbolize that we are in a time of prayer. Maybe it's to intentionally to remove distractions from our lives and that this is how we're going to focus on the Lord. And so we often, again, associate prayer with these things. 
Now, I'm going to tell you that there is absolute power when we do them. When we close our eyes and get on our knees and play. Put our, uh, if you've never tried before to, to get on your knees and put your head on the ground and pray, I, it fills your soul. It's an acknowledgement of your body to say, I'm bowing down to the king. I encourage you to do it. But I'm going to tell you that there's also power, real, great value in everyday fellowship with the Lord. As we are living, as we are moving along with our lives, as we're going to work, as we're picking up our kids in that crazy long line at school, as we're doing all these things to be in communion with him. And in fact, these two short words that we find pray continually in Thessalonians. These two short words actually tell us more about prayer than not. Just in two words. These two words tell us that the use of our voice is not what defines prayer. That the posture that we use is not what defines prayer. That the location in which we decide to pray is not what defines prayer. Or the time of day itself is not what defines prayer. What this means when we see pray continually in Thessalonians, what this means is that there is not a time or place where we couldn't be in communion with our God. That anywhere, from the moment we waking our eyes up to the moment we go to sleep, that we could be in communion in relation with him anywhere. Anywhere. And this is, what, of course, what Paul is saying. Pray continually. Don't just sit and wait, but pray continually throughout the day. For he is present with, present with you in the midst of your work. And I just say, may all of those who call Jesus Messiah do so without ceasing. By word, action, and deed. And then finally, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, that's what we, we got a whole day about it. It's coming up on Thursday. Got a whole day about giving thanks. Now, I want you to look again at this scripture in 1 Thessalonians and notice that the wording, because it's very important to pay attention to the way it's worded. Now, notice Paul did not say, he didn't say give thanks for all circumstances. They give thanks for all circumstances, but to give thanks in all circumstances. That one word, in, is a total and complete recognition that God's sovereign hand is in all things. That there are going to be circumstances where you and I are not going to want to give thanks to. And we can find them pretty easily. We've heard even just in the welcome of our service today, our sergeant major says so well, that many of us are in different places in our life, that we may be approaching him with a full heart of thanksgiving, and others may be trying to find I know it's there. I just got to find where that Thanksgiving is going to be this year. Where am I going to find? Where am I thankful for? And each of us are in different places. But the Paul, when he wrote this in Thessalonians, is saying to give thanks in all circumstance, recognizing that in the worst of our times, God is sovereign. In fact, the great theologian Charles Spurgeon once said that when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. 
We're called, you and I, are called to be thankful in life circumstances, in the highest of times and in the lowest of times. And I believe, personally, me, Captain, I really do believe that a thankful heart has a direct effect and correlation on the condition of our spirit and attitude when we are in life's lowest moments. That when you are a, believer, a professing believer in Jesus Christ, that when you are at your lowest, one of your life low moments, and you cannot find joy, you cannot find thanksgiving or thankfulness, I'm telling you, there is a direct correlation between these three things to get us through those moments and still be healed. So let me ask, is your soul hurting this morning? Then I want to tell you to seek after the Lord. Are you spending your days chasing happiness instead of joy? I want you to choose joy every time it's given. Do you call upon the name of Jesus as Messiah? Then I want you to do it without ceasing. And if you want to find healing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Shout for, the joy, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. The Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts of praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 100. Father, we pray now that as we look into the scripture and into this really just reflection of thanksgiving, that when we're gathered with our families on this Thursday, wherever it may be, however that may look like, that we do so chasing joy, <clears throat> prayer, and gratitude. Lord, help us fill all three of those things. Give us, Lord, what your desires are for each of us. And may, God, we approach you, the cross, with a thankful heart. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, exactly 49 days after Lincoln gave his Thanksgiving proclamation, on the morning of November 19th, 1863, he gave another speech that will become hollow grounds for us today. A speech reminding the nation and the world that the great American experiment started just four score and seven years before will not fail. And it's in that same exact spirit that I wish each and every single one of you a very happy Thanksgiving. God bless you all.
thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.